Well, good morning again. Good morning. That was better. First service was, was, was a little more low-key with the first. Let me give you one more shot. Good morning. It's great to have you here with us this morning. My name is Pete. I have the privilege of serving here as the associate pastor at FCF. On behalf of our entire pastoral team, I want to say thank you for surprising us last week with pastor appreciation. It meant the world to us. And now I'm going to ask them to mute the audio on the stream. Give me a... Pastor Randy has been the lead pastor of this church for 31 years, planted it, and we want to honor him. Do you love him? Can you tell him how much you appreciate him? We love you, boss. Hope you're getting some rest. And uh, if you're here this service for the first time, uh, come back next week and you'll get a good message. I promise. I, it'll, it'll, it'll be good. He's incredible. So I remember when my amazing wife, again, if you're new to FCF, she was, she was standing in the center here with the, the brown hair. Um, Looks a lot better than I do. Yes, I'm aware of it. No need to tell me. And she was eight months pregnant with our very first child. Now, I got all, all of the information I'm going to share with you pre-approved because I'd like to continue to, to live in the home that I live in. <laughs> she had gotten to that point where she was ready to have the baby. Did any mothers remember that feeling? You were... Ready to have that baby. Jess was, give it to me. She was ready to have that baby. Now, I, I, I have hesitated sharing this, but for the context of where I'm going, I feel obligated to tell you how much of a lie it was. So, Jessica, uh, um, she, she gained 68 pounds with our first child. I was allowed to tell you that, okay? So, so that's, that's basically twice what she is right now, in case you're wondering. And she is done. She, she's frustrated with everything. She has this giant protuberance sticking off the front of her. And she is ready. She is ready to have the baby. And at one point in frustration, she's just, you know, clothes aren't fitting right and things don't feel good and acid and all this stuff. And she's like, just look at me. I'm huge, aren't I? Now, I don't look like very much. <laughs> but after eight years of marriage, I knew it's a trap. <laughs> Don't answer that question. I did answer the question. And I did what any God-fearing, loving husband would do. I looked her dead in the eyes and I completely lied to her. No, baby, no, I love you. Yeah, that's all right, thank you. Again, I wished to stay in the home that I was staying at the time. But I knew that I was lying. I lied. I knew that I had lied. But have you ever gotten to a place where you lied and then you started to believe the lies that you were telling? Let me, let me ask it this way. Have you ever gotten to a, a spot where you lost sight of the truth? You weren't, you weren't really sure. I think if all of us are honest... At some point in our life, we made a decision, made a decision that we were positive 
was right, only to realize we were wrong. I want you to hold that thought. Sociologists say that we live in what is now called a post-truth culture. How many have heard this word before? Okay, less than I thought. Post-truth was the Oxford Dictionary 2016 Word of the Year. 2016 Word of the Year. And this is what post-truth means. Objective facts are less likely to influence an opinion than appeals to emotions or what's this word? Facts don't care about your feelings? Not according to this. Well... George Barna, in 2021, did the most recent study on truth. And the highest group, highest percentage was 69% did not believe there was an absolute truth. Stunned by the results, when interviewed, Barna said, we are now at a time in our country where people believe that truth is subjective. They believe that they are the source of ultimate truth. And this is the spot that we live in. Turn with me to John 18, 37. Now, Jesus is on trial here. The Pharisees have brought him before Pontius Pilate. Pilate was a prefect or a governor. And in that time, the, the governor, first century Rome, they were also like the judge. And so the religious leaders bring him to Jesus. And this is how the conversation goes. Verse 37. He says, you're a king then said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the, what is it? Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Verse 38. What is truth? People say the Bible's not relevant. This question still echoes to this day. Our culture is still asking for this question. The irony of the question is that the picture of ultimate truth is standing right before him in Jesus. And it's at this point in the story that if we're honest, we realize that it was not just Jesus that was on trial it's the title of my message. It's that truth was on trial. In your notes, I have three questions outlined with some blanks. You can fill them in as we go if you'd like. God is giving us a choice. Truth's on trial. Jesus offers truth. The devil sells lies. But listen to me. The lies are really expensive. They're really, really expensive. The first of the three questions I want to ask you this morning is this. Where do you go to find truth? It's your first fill in the blank right there. Find. As I was researching this message online and looking at where people go to find truth, it, you know how Facebook people post something and they'll ask a question, they'll say wrong answers only? That's, that's what it felt like I was finding. Top four. Feelings. Truth derived from feelings. Intellect. Truth derived from our personal intellect. Moral 
compass. Or most common today, the majority. But, but here's, here's the struggle. Feelings are fickle. People say, well, you just gotta, you know, search within. Look within yourself, Luke. Like, nope. People, oh, Pastor Pete, I mean, she's, man, you don't know this girl, man. She's like a 10. Like, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? It feels so right. God knows my heart. This is one of the biggest lies that the devil is selling. Is that feelings dictate your sexuality. And I'm not looking to beat anybody over the head, but God made us and he knows what's best for us. It's one of the biggest lies he's selling. Genesis 2 says this, that the two become one. I'm going to shock some of you. I'm going to say this word in church. Uh, you should really take your kids to kids' church. This is a great time to take them to kids' church. You got some explaining to do. <laughs> sex is beautiful. I'm going to say it again. Sex was created by God. We're going there? Yep, we're going there. It was something that God made to create intimacy between a husband and a wife. It was his purpose for the two to become one. But what's happening now is two become one and they separate. And two become one and they separate. And two become one and they separate. And we've gotten to the point that every time we separate, a piece of us stays with the previous person. You don't think this is true? Talk to a 60-year-old that's still hung up on a sexual experience from their 20s. The two become one and they separate. Monogamy used to mean one person for life. Now monogamy means one person at a time. And this is not the way of Jesus. He's not mad at us. He's not trying to control us. He knows what's best to us. And it's a lie. Your feelings will lie to you. God developed sex for a husband and wife to create intimacy. And we've messed it up so badly that now people struggle to create intimacy with their spouse. We're so damaged. It's not God trying to control us. Uh, I have a fireplace in my house. Be honest, you're in church. How many love fire? You can, many pyros in the house. Be, be my people. These are my people. <laughs> Master Zach, my guy. Love me some fire. Fire is awesome and beautiful and productive within the context of my fireplace. But fire is dangerous and destructive running wild throughout my house. And this is what we've done with something that God created that was beautiful. Like most of the beautiful things that God created for our good, the world has corrupted it. And people are believing a lie Again, God's not mad at you. He's trying to protect you, but a lot of people are believing a lie. And they'll look back and they'll regret it. The next place people go, feelings are fickle. Their intellect is finite, right? 
Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that, what's the word? Seems right to a man. But in the end, it, it leads to death. In the end, it leads to death. Pastor Randy always says, we don't even know how much we don't know. I mean, every year we make these jumps in technology, in the medical field, in all these areas, and all of the things that we believed, we're like, okay, that wasn't right. We thought we knew. We don't know. You think we know everything? Get sick, go to the hospital, and you'll realize that they are practicing medicine on you. <laughs> Guys in his office, I've never seen that before. That was weird. Here, take, take some of this. You'll be fine. Absolute truth cannot come from a finite being. Absolute truth needs an absolute source. Feelings are fickle, intellect finite, moral compass subjective. Remember in Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow, right? He's got that compass. Remember the compass? Do you even know where the compass actually aimed? Remember it spins in a lot of it? And later in the movie, they tell you that the reason the compass didn't work is because the compass pointed at whatever his heart wanted. And some of us have lost true north and our moral compass is just pointing at whatever we want the most. God help us. Moral compass, subjective. And then this is the scariest one of all and it's probably the most popular. The majority is unpredictable at best, irrational and evil at worst. I mean, how many examples would you like? Racism? Slavery? Jewish genocide and the Holocaust? The majority thought this was okay. In 1933, there was 9 million European Jews. In 1945, there was 3 million. Two out of every three Jews had been murdered. And, and I, I'm, I'm illustrating this for a reason because the majority thought this was okay. You can say, no, no, it was just a dictator that, that did that. Have you ever seen pictures of Auschwitz or the extermination camps? These were not three or four houses. These were massive, massive complexes with engineering diagrams and schematics and all sorts of people that worked to create these things that the majority said was okay not uh, 9-11 happened when I was in college and it, it's, it scarred me 3,000 people died during 9-11 the equivalent with the Holocaust would be that 9-11 happens every day for five years but the majority thought this is okay hey it feels good to me my moral compass, my intellect, my feelings, I think this is okay, Pastor Pete. No. The reason these are so dangerous, wrong answers only, is because this type of truth is susceptible to a power that is significantly more evil than you can realize. The devil's not even hiding it anymore. Scripture tells us, John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and you know what it is? 
destroy. That's his plan for you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to steal every good thing that God has from you, for you. It confuses me every time. Maybe you're new to faith. I'll say it this way. You're new to faith, and I'm talking about a, a world that can't be seen, and you're like, oh, this is like, I don't, you know, I don't know if I buy this. I'm not superstitious. I am a little stitious, but I'm not. <laughs> but if you're honest with yourself, you'll think back to something that you saw at some point in your life that was so evil, you thought, what would make someone do that? And somebody asked me that, what would, what would make somebody break into a school and shoot elementary school kids? What would make somebody break into a prayer meeting and, and kill people? I want to grab them by both shoulders and say, it's the devil. Because we've allowed our moral compass, our truth, to be shaped by these things. This is not God's plan. So then the obvious question becomes, where do we go to find truth? The Word of God. This is the standard by which we live. This book is prophetic, historical. It's been validated time and time again. Multiple people have tried to destroy this book, to end it, to discredit it, and it fails, and it stands. It will not be defeated. One of my favorite stories of this is a, a man named Voltaire, who was a, a French philosopher. And Voltaire said, Christianity will never last. He said, it's, it's, it's mythology, it's a joke. He said, in a hundred years, there won't be a Bible on earth except for those seeking antiquities. 58 years after Voltaire's death, the French Bible Society bought his house and distributes Bibles out of it. <laughs> this book is the standard. It is life-changing. When, when we look at this, there are so many testimonies of someone who takes this book alone in complete ignorance, begins to read it, and their entire life changes. Because this book is truth. Not subjective truth. Not tr truth that swings back and forth. Consistent, absolute truth. So the second question I want to ask you is this. Why do some reject truth? I mean, we've seen the power in this book. Every year, I don't know if you know, this is the best-selling book of all history. Why would people reject the truth that this offers? The prophecies that are in this were impossible to predict. How could Jesus pick his parents? How could he pick the town that he would be born in? It's truth. So why do some reject truth? It's not because there's a lack of information. It's not because there's a lack of facts. Because, I don't get ahead of myself. This is going to feel a little bit like you're getting a shot of Novocaine uh, uh, and a little late on the surgery. So you're getting surgery a little late. Okay, who, there's a couple different groups here that are broken down. The first is this, those who've never heard. This is why some reject truth. They've never heard it. 
They don't know. They're just kind of walking through life trying to pay bills. They're not even thinking about what's truth. And, and I'm going to use this expression there. They're, it's passive ignorance. I don't mean ignorance in a mean or pejorative way. I, I mean it like it's a lack of knowledge, right? I'm ignorant about marine biology. Know nothing about it. The second group that we see is those who believe a lie. This is that group that's kind of pushed by the majority, left and right. They're just open adherents, just kind of along for the ride. And then this is kind of the most disturbing, frightening group. And it's those who deny the truth. They openly deny the truth. And, and I'm going to call this active defiance. You can go ahead and zoom in on that in case they want to take a picture, tech guys. I'll walk away. Why do some reject the truth openly? Like, what, why, why do they decide, I'm just going to run from this? Give them a couple more seconds. Taking pictures there, Greg. Thanks, buddy. Can, can we just be honest with ourselves for a second? You come back to me, buddy. Can we be honest about why we do this? We reject truth because we want to be in control. Ooh. In essence, we want to be God. We want to do it our way. We want to do our things. And God, I mean, I love you and all, but no, I, I want to create my own God. I'm going to say it this way. We created, we were created in God's image. We just keep returning the favor. So we make a God in our image, our preferences. I'm going to call it Deity a la carte. Take a little bit of this. Take a little bit of that. I like this parts of Christianity, but I, you're not going to tell me how to treat people, are you? You're not going to tell me how to handle my body, are you? Because, I mean, uh, I'm supposed to be generous? No, 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 no. I just like these pieces. You're not worshiping a God. You are worshiping yourself. Romans 1.21 says it this way. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Have you noticed how dark our world has become? Verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became, what is it? Fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God, the real God, for images made to look like a mortal human being. This goes all the way back to the beginning. Verse 24, therefore, I want you to catch this. What's it say? Therefore God, in the sinful desires of their hearts. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. The devil is selling lies. Amen. And they worshiped and served created things. Again, they made their own God fit their preferences, their needs, rather than the Creator. Verse 26. Because of this, God. Say it with me. That God. To shameful lust. Verse 28. You need to read this whole passage in your, time, in, in your uh, free time, but for the sake of time, I'm skipping around a little bit. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to restrain the knowledge, this is the truth of Scripture, 
of God. So God, what is it? Gave them over to a depraved mind. God says, okay, you don't want me in your life? All right. Verse 18 of Romans 1 says this. It says, the wrath of God was being revealed. And then it uses this cadence over and over. He gave them over. He gave them over. He gave them over. Describes the different ways that God said, okay, you, you want to do it your way? I'm going to release you to life without me. It's your choice. Go ahead. And this is the culture that we find ourselves in. Jesus offers truth. The devil is selling lies, and they're really, really expensive. So as Christ followers, we see ourselves in this position where culture begins to drift. And as Christ followers, we pull the opposite direction. And there's this huge chasm beginning to form between the two of us. And some unknowing Christians are getting pulled in this direction with them. So there's truth and a lie. Truth and a lie. So the last question I'm going to ask you is with this giant chasm between us, how do we present the truth? That's your final blank on your notes. How are we as Christ followers called to present truth? What does Scripture tell us? Look here, John 1.14. Love the book of John. The book of John was different than the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke can be kind of lined up next to each other. They were written in roughly the same time period. And you can read the same stories across all, all the Gospels. But John was different. John wasn't synoptic. John was referencing all of the garbage that had taken place. People couldn't deny who Jesus was because he was alive and there were people that knew him, people that had seen him resurrected. So they couldn't say that Jesus wasn't real. All they could try to do was disgrace his deity. And John writes this book with that as one of his themes where we get all the I am statements and the truth statements about who Jesus actually was. I love it. John 1.14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of, what is it? Grace and truth. Okay? So we see our first relationship, our first speaking of truth begin to come connection. So we have grace and we have truth. Later, written to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes Ephesians 4, 15. He's talking about being a mature Christian. He's going back and forth between being immature and being mature, being immature, being mature. And he says this in Ephesians 4, 15. Instead of being immature, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. Okay, so we see grace, truth, and love. Grace, truth, and love. I love 15 in the NLT says to hold to truth. Hold to truth with love in our hearts. But the mark of a true, mature Christ follower is your ability to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth in love. This relationship forms. We see grace as one element of truth. We see love. And then we see truth. And this is how we present the gospel. This is the model that God has given us, and we are right here. The chasm forms, but we live in grace, 
love, and truth. And God showed me a distinction between these that I'm getting ready to walk through. But if you want to go ahead and take another tight shot there, you can go ahead and grab that. If you want to get a picture of that, that did not make it into your notes. I'm sorry about that. But if you want to pop a picture, they're going to go tight real now, and you can get a picture of that if you want. So do you, do you uh, know anyone that is so focused on truth that they are just the, just the incredibly mean person? They're like, hey, you're chubby, you got dandruff, I don't like you, you smell. It's all true. Anybody know somebody like that? You know somebody? Don't point at them. I didn't say them. I'm just kidding. They'd be pointing at you. It's just... It's a blend of all of this together. Give grace. We live in love and we speak the truth. So why? Why are these three elements in place? What's the distinction? Grace welcomes. Everybody is welcome. You may be in this room and you'd think, Pastor Pete, if you guys knew what I did, if this church knew what I did, you guys wouldn't even want me here. And I would tell you, you are 100% wrong. And everybody said? Amen. You are welcome here. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. And you are welcome to come to FCF. You can belong before you believe because of God's grace. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to who? All people. Just the ones that were really holy growing up? Nope. Just the elect? Nope. To all people, regardless of your past. Grace welcomes. Love motivates. I love this. Love is the drive that pushes us to share truth. Love is the drive that pushes us to share truth. And if I love you, I will not love you doing something that will hurt you. I will speak the truth in love with grace. There is an inseparable connection between these two. There is no love without truth. Culture has been teaching something called tolerance. This is a, a tolerance. And I want you to know as a Christ follower, tolerance is not a biblical construct. It is not. So much so that in Revelations 2, John writes, this one thing I hold against you, that you were tolerant of sin. Tolerance is a cultural construct. It's not a biblical truth, and we need to run from that. We have to get to a place that we, grace that welcomes, love that motivates to speak the truth. And here's what's incredible about truth. Truth liberates. Truth breaks chains and sets people free and revolutionizes life. John 8, 31 says it this way. Jesus spoke to the Jews who would believe. Pisteo, this is the word pistis that we talk about all the time. He said, trust him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, again, a reference to scripture, the Old Testament, you are really my disciples. You might have missed that, so I'm going to read it again. 
if you hold to my teachings, you're my disciples. Not if you come to church. Not if you... If you hold to my teachings, then you're my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. People said that. The truth will set you free. Well, if you hold to his teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And here is what's incredible. Once you know the truth, you can't be tempted with a lie. It will do nothing for you. You realize that sin is poison and it's killing you. It's killing you. Ace, put you on your right notes. Hop up here for one second, buddy. This is Ace. Ace is one of the guys on the missions trip. But yeah, give it up for Ace. I did this with Bruce Bryant earlier. He had a less graceful entrance to the stage. <laughs> uh, I'm supposed to get a mic. They yelled at me last time. So um, here you go. This is Grace. Grace, Grace was the, uh, Grace, Ace. Grace is a verse, Ace is a guy. All right, uh, Ace was, uh, did I tell you about any of this? What's that? Did I tell you about any of this? No. Okay, go ahead, hold the mic up. This is real, it's real important here. Um, Ace was the interpreter on the missions trip. Can we one more time thank the missions group? Anybody else in here? Bruce Bryant, Bruce McMahon. Okay, so you were, you were in Peru, right? Right. Right. Was it, was it warm? It was kind of chilly, actually. Oh, it's chilly there. The desert coastal region. Okay, okay, but you but you flew back on a plane, right? Right, and you get to hydrate on a plane, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is a special. My water's in there, but this is a special water. And you, I mean, thirsty? Are you thirsty right now? Yeah, sure. You can drink some water. Here you Thank go. you. Okay. There's just one thing I should tell you about the water. Um, okay. We put uh, three drops of poison in that water. Ah. Let's see. Right. You can have it. It's yours. You, you, you want it? I think I'll pass, but thank you. Okay. What if, what if, I, what if I gave you uh, 20 bucks to drink the poison? You, you in? I don't think it's worth it. You don't think it's worth it? Thanks, Ace. Give it up for Ace. Isn't he awesome? You can take the water. There's not actually, po there's not actually poison in that. That was a joke. All right. <laughs> no matter what you do, Pastor Randy uses that illustration. You can't convince me to drink poison. That would be funny to uh, have some of my man Ace. But once you've seen the truth, you can never be convinced of a lie. Sin is killing us. God's not mad at us. He's not trying to be punitive. He's trying to protect us. He's trying to help us. So I'll go all the way back to the question Pilate started with. What is truth? I gave this so much thought, had all sorts of flowery things that I had written down. It was all terrible. And I landed on just this. Psalm 119 says this, all your commandments are, what's this word? It's commandments. This is truth. What is truth? God's standard on any topic. That is ultimate truth. Peter, are you saying that, that you know, the highest level of truth is this book? Yes, but I'm even going to tell you that that is incomplete. Because the Pharisees had memorized the first half of the book. And truth was standing right there in front of them. And in fact, they were the ones that had put him on trial. It's not enough just 
to know this book. Like Pastor Randy always says, we have to take Scripture and then look through Scripture to see God, to see His character and His nature. This book is ultimate truth. And His name is Jesus. Amen? I'll close, I'll close with this. End of our story with Pilate. John 18, verse 38. Pilate says, what is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, he's not guilty of any crime. Verse 39. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a, a murderer, a thief. He tried to start an insurrection. He tried to destroy the government. Did, did you catch that? He was a thief. He killed, tried to destroy. It's easy for us to say, how could they choose Pilate? When truth, grace, love, and truth is standing in front of them and they're going to choose a murderer, a thief, and a rebel over truth? But what I would say today is every time we choose to believe the lie, every time we think that, that sin is worth the cost, we're doing the same thing. We're picking Barabbas. We're saying, I, you know, God, I've heard all you have to say, but I really want to do this. My moral compass says it's right. I think it's possible that we do the same thing. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to close with this. Every day, we have the opportunity to look at God and say, God, your will be done. Or we can believe the lie. We can turn our back on God. We can say, God, I want this my way. And he will say, okay, fine. Your will be done and he's telling every single one of us that every single day will you choose his way ultimate truth will you believe the lie God's not mad at you and regardless of what's happened in your past grace love and truth are here for you but we have to step into it we have to acknowledge our need for him and say God I, I want your way I want ultimate truth I'm going to find it in your word I'm not going to reject it and make myself a God and I'm going to share it with everybody I know with grace that welcomes love that motivates and truth that liberates let's pray Heavenly Father 
we are so grateful for your word and we're so grateful that you sent your son for us that it is because of the death of your son the grace of God we're able to experience and God we pledge in this room God that we're going to live for you God, we're, we're not going to choose Barabbas. We're going to choose your way. We will not believe the lie. We step into all that you have for us. The best life possible. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said.